What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. My name is Brendan Nunez. Got Rich Ivanowski on here, as we always do. How are you doing, Rich? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Uh, King suffered another really tough loss down at the end of that Magic game last night, falling to Orlando 114 to 112 at home. Uh, but personally, I am not all fire and brimstone like I think a lot of Kings fans are about this. Do you feel good about this game, bad about this game, somewhere in the middle? Um, I felt good about the offense and bad about the defense, uh, which I kind of expected to be backwards going into this because Orlando is a really good defensive team and terrible offensively. Um, and Sacramento kind of went opposite to that. Yeah, totally fair. That's totally fair. I think that I was expecting to feel bad about both the offense and the defense. So the fact that I felt good about the offense kind of made me feel better than I had expected, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. And obviously the highlights, Bielitsa, 34 points, a career high for him. Uh, eight of 10 from three, also a career high in three-pointers made. De'Aaron Fox ties his career high with 31 points, along with eight rebounds, 10 assists. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, Bielitsa was ridiculous this game. He was on fire. Um, he scored a lot of points out the gate, too. I want to say yeah. he had something like 12 of the first 17 yeah, it was something crazy like that. I I, he, I know he had nine points in the first four minutes. Uh, yeah, I think he scored like the first five points. It it was it was pretty nuts. Nine um, of the first thirteen is what I have here. Nine of the first thirteen. So yeah, and at that point he was on pace for 118 points <laughs> on the night. I remember that. Yeah. But yeah, Fox what, had a great game. I would say that this may have, may be the best game I've ever seen from Fox. Quite honestly, I know that's kind of a high bar, but it's not just the numbers for me. It was the mentality. Um, we saw a lot of games last season where you could say he put up just as good numbers or close to it or arguably better. But, you know, that was really kind of playing to his strength of the transition. I think it is fair to say it's a little bit gimmicky using his natural advantage with speed. This game, to me, this game felt more like genuine, authentic talent shining through. Um, and yeah, he was just completely incredible in the fourth quarter as well. Yeah, I mean, talking to talent, even just looking at that very last highlight where he did, I, I believe they call the move the Smitty, like that half spin and both Fultz and 
uh, Aaron Gordon completely bite on it. And then Fox hits a nice floater over uh, Vucevic off the glass for an and one to put Sacramento up at the end. But that entire fourth, like you're right, he was completely on fire. Um, he went very takeover. I think the pace was up a little bit and has been recently, which is good. Um, and actually fared pretty well for Bagley tonight as well. I thought he had some nice finishes at the rim. Um, but yeah, Fox's game overall, I, I will say, and this is just me totally nitpicking, uh, because he did have what possibly is his best game. Uh, like you said, he got in the air a good amount of times and didn't seem like he knew what he was going to do with it. He only, he had four turnovers. I expected to see more when I looked at the box score actually. Um, but there were a couple times where he got in the air and seemed like he changed his mind or didn't quite have a plan when he got up there. Yeah, that's fair. And I think that's totally fine too, because, you know, quite honestly, there's no one else on this team that can be relied upon to do much of anything. So I'm comfortable with him doing that. Um, and this definitely wasn't a perfect game so that, you know, it's fair to criticize points of it, but yeah, to me, his best game in, in the, you know, the fourth quarter, he played all 12 minutes. He scored 15 points on six shots, uh, which is very nice. And then, yeah, you mentioned that the hesitation move, but that was following a strip on the most important defensive possession of the game, or I guess second most important, uh, considering Aaron Gordon beat them on the last play. Uh, but, uh, you know, that strip... And that strip, that preceded was preceded by another hard two. So that was, you know, 30 seconds of pretty much perfect basketball, exactly what you want from your point guard. And like you said, it's takeover mode, and that's what we've wanted to see from Fox forever. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, and do you have other points on Fox that you want to get into? Um, no, on Fox, I'm I'm pretty much good there. I mean, I think the one other thing to point out is that he was five for five from the free throw line. He has made big strides there, and and knocking down that that uh, and one to go ahead. Oh, I, I was so nervous. Yeah, absolutely. But that was I was nervous too. But he's he's been making big improvements uh, in that area, and that will be we'll talk about that a little more later when we get into our special segment of the night. But um, if you've got more on this game, uh, go ahead and get into it now. Yeah. So, I mean, Orlando is a huge team, you know, like Vucevic and Kem Birch were the two starters and they really are both centers and there's no good person for Bielitsa to guard. I mean, he's not a good defender by any stretch of the word. So there's never really a good matchup for Vucevic, but in this one specifically, it's like if you try to put him on Gordon when he's a four, Gordon's going to completely blow past him. Vucevic was posting him up every single possession, though, and able to go to that so often. That and Fournier attacking Buddy Heald. Like, they just went, Orlando went at those two guys over and over, and the Kings really struggled to stop that. And the one thing I want to ask, I thought that Deadman did a good job on Vucevic down low on defense. I thought that he was the best guy to guard Vucevic in this. Would you have wanted to see a little bit more Deadman minutes? Uh, sure. Not. I mean, I'm not nearly where you were at. You were very high on Deadman. You thought he did a great job in four minutes. Like, okay. 
I, I, I'm fine with that. He did a fine job in four minutes, but it's four minutes. It's not to the point where I'm like, God, let me get some more Deadman in this game. I, I was not right. necessarily there where you are. Right, which is fair. I just thought it was very similar to the role that we saw him do well in that game in Phoenix, uh, where Aiton gave Giles and, uh, and Bielita problems down low. I, and I thought that uh, Deadman was the guy that really could have helped on the defensive end there. Um, and then, but yeah, it was, he also did take two shots in those four minutes that did not look great. I think he front rimmed both of them were old bricks, but he's pulling the trigger really fast. Like he's desperate to make a shot. Um, so I definitely understand the uh, limitations that he brings when he's out there on offense, but I would have liked to see him a little right. bit more. Uh, on well, that, I mean, that's the thing is you can't get a player just on one side of the court and he's been the worst offensive player on this team by miles and miles and miles, leaps and bounds, it's not close. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely see where you're coming from there. And then, what did you think of uh, what did you think of the Giles minutes here? He only played his initial stretch uh, when he started in the first half, and then only in, ended the game with 13 minutes. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think that he is who he is and it, this wasn't like a game that stood out to me as particularly good or bad from him he's you know he's gonna be a little bit trigger happy still he's gonna shoot a little quicker than maybe I would like when he does decide to pass I love what I see I just flat out love it um, three assists in this game but it's more than that it's you know passes to passes it's just moving the ball uh, around the offense, uh, there was a nice. This was this was the game where he had that little two man game with Buddy uh, in the corner, right? I'm not thinking of a different game there. Um, I'm not remembering it in this one. There was just there was one possession where uh, he came over, set a pick for Buddy. Buddy's dribbling around trying to get space, passes it to Giles, back to Buddy, back to Giles, back to Buddy, and uh, Buddy gets an open shot and hits it. And that's just the type of I mean, that's what Giles can bring. That's the thing that we are most enamored with is his passing. So um, there's a couple shots where I felt like he just – he saw a little bit of space. He pulled up and he shot it wild and it, it you know, wasn't really close. Um, so, you know, that stuff needs to be worked on. I think that needs to be worked through with time and with, uh, you know, chances to get out there and take shots. He's not going to be perfect yet. He still has not played that many minutes in his career. So, yeah, I mean, he may be on his way out. So, you know, who knows what it matters at this point. But I don't think you can keep giving him these starts where he plays 10 minutes and think that he's going to really get more settled in. Right. Um, yeah, I, I definitely see that there. He had one play where I think he got a little bit of tunnel vision uh, in I want to say it was in the fourth quarter and almost ISOed on Vucevic after they tried to run a little bit of offense, uh, didn't go well for him. I think he thought he got fouled and then completely jogged back on offense and practically gave up a bucket for that. So, but yeah, he, he needs to get a little bit more minutes here. Um, and like tunnel, I said, I, tunnel vision is right. That's a great way to put it. I feel like you can see in his face when he decides he's going to shoot. And then oh, for sure, you Same know, with Buddy and Bagley. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. 
Yeah, and I, I don't want to take too much on this one, but I thought it was an interesting game. I, I think that the bigs really made the difference for Orlando. 12 offensive rebounds. And getting to the line 30 times, I, I thought, was a good way to really show that they couldn't do anything down low, that there was no rim protection. A lot of the times it just ended in fouls for Sacramento. Um, but the last thing is Ariza played terrible in this one. Yeah, and Justin James looked really, really good. Even though it was just three minutes, I thought he looked really, really good. Yeah, I would definitely agree. Um, Ariza fell asleep on that defensive possession. Aaron Gordon was his guy. Um, got kind of caught ball watching a little bit when Fournier came near him and started to get off the floor. And 0 for 5 from 3. And I want to say there were two occasions. There was definitely one in the corner uh, where he had two shots within 10 seconds probably that were pretty wide open, missed both of them, happened from the wing as well. Like he got good looks in this one, and to not even hit one of five was rough. And uh, people sitting around me at Golden One Center are not the biggest Trevor Reza fans, let me tell you. And, yeah, it's understandable. He's shooting well below 40% on the season. Um, yeah, it's bad. Uh, and – you know, the reason I brought up James in comparison there, we've, we've talked about it several episodes in a row. I think we've talked about it probably four or five episodes in a row. Just throwing that out there to be like, you know, more James and less Ariza. Um, I asked that question on Twitter, uh, put out a poll. Who do you want to see get more minutes the rest of this season, Justin James or Trevor Ariza? Do you want to guess how that poll has ended up? <laughs> When I was looking at it, it was like 90 towards Justin James, right? 90% there? Yeah, I got 556 votes and 92, a little over 92% of them are uh, in favor of Justin James. Yeah, that's and you know, those 52 votes for a reason or whatever, probably 40 different Omer Khan accounts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but, you know, that yeah. can transition us. Uh, we ha So what we're doing for the rest of this episode is we pulled one telling stat. We tried to pick one stat that said the most about the year uh, a player has had each one for each player on the Kings. Uh, definitely difficult to pick one stat to do this. Um, but we're talking about Ariza shooting and the stat I pulled for that directly goes with that if you're cool with going to that. Just a point of clarification for me, I didn't necessarily choose the 10 most, uh, how did you say, the, mo the most representative stats or the stats that say the most about the season. Some of these are a little bit outlier-ish. Like, okay. It's not necessarily that they tell the whole story, just that they're, to me, I chose the 10 most, or let me rephrase that, the most surprising stat for, for 10 players on the team. Okay. Yeah. I think that's totally fair. Um, the stat that stood out to us the most, definitely, since we're pulling one for each guy. Um, yeah, that's a great way to put it. And yeah, I mean, if you're ready to get into it, uh, I, I would like to hear what you've got on Ariza. So Ariza this year has only shot 26% or 26% of his attempts are corner threes. That is the second least that he's had in his career. And he has only made 32% of those corner threes. That is the worst from the corner that he shot since 08-09. Every single year since 
2012, he has shot over 40% from the corners, aside from 39% in 16-17, 32% from the corners for Trevor Ariza. Okay, that's interesting. Um, I was kind of a little bit lost at the beginning, but basically the stat is it's it's 12 years or over it's been over a decade that he shot at least 39% from the corner until yep. this year and he's way to, all the way down to 32. Yeah, that's that's not good. That's not a good stat. Yeah, and and he's getting them a decent amount. It's really it, it should be an automatic shot for for Trevor Ariza and it's just not this year. Right. And if he can't hit that shot um right. I mean that's kind of dead in ish in a way. Like that's what you yeah. paid him to do is to hit that shot. Right. That's troubling. So I've got mine here for Ariza. I figure we'll match ours together. So when we talk about a player, we'll each give ours uh, for each player. Mine for Ariza is uh, it's it's concerning, um, but I'll just give a caveat here that I grouped Joseph and Ariza together. I grouped Corey Joseph and Trevor Ariza together. And uh, it's a stat that we've kind of talked about before. Some of these I've hinted at before. But um, I'll break it down right now. It's Corey Joseph and Trevor Reza. Okay. All right. Here it goes. 177 players in the NBA average at least 24 minutes per game. All right. Of that 177 players, only five of them are averaging less than 6.5 points per game. (laughs) Two of those players are Corey Joseph and Trevor Reza. Yeah, that's a rough one. I'll point out the other three are not paid much at all, less than five million a piece, and Joseph and Ariza making twelve million a piece. So, I mean, react to that if you want to. I, but I think that that's I, the point here is that these two players might be the least effective players uh, on offense for your dollar in the whole league. Like if you're if you're looking at how much offense they give you per dollar spent. These are probably the two worst players in the league. Yeah, and that's definitely more upsetting for Ariza uh, just because you expected him to at least be knocking down the three ball. Um, And Joseph, obviously, you'd want it to be a little bit higher, but you weren't expecting that much from him on offense. Um, But, yeah, especially considering how much money these guys are getting paid, um, that is definitely a rough one. Do you have the other names in front of you? Yeah, I do, and I, I I'll just say that I am. I, it doesn't make me any happier to know that because even with uh, Corey Joseph, and I can just pull this up real quick here, but we may not have expected too much from him. But I mean, this is worse than I I thought it would be personally. But you know, maybe he doesn't take a lot of shots. Definitely but his, agree. His field goal percentage is also well below forty percent. That is it's not something he's ever done. Like it's, it's been a decade that he, since he's done that. So like, like Ariza, like you mentioned, this is an anomalous bad year for him. Um, the other players, if you want to know are Terrence Ferguson, Patrick McCaw and Royce O'Neal. Oh man. Uh, yeah, that is uh very rough. I guess they're mainly defensive guys there, but yeah, that's not good company here. Definitely not. So I'll go into my Kojo stat. It's a little more positive here, and it's uh, definitely the wonkiest one that I have. So 
I tried to somehow uh, point out how Corey Joseph was constantly guarding uh, one of the best players on the other team uh, fairly often. I, I know that we've been upset with Buddy doing that a little bit more than we would like, uh, more than a little bit more. But uh, I combined, I took the matchup da- uh, data off NBA.com, which can be a little uh, a little weird at times, but combining the times that he was guarding all of these players, great players, Damian Lillard, Devin Booker, Jamal Murray, James Harden, Bradley Beal, Luka Doncic, D'Angelo Russell, Kemba Walker, Russell Westbrook, Trey Young, LeBron James, CP3, and CJ McCollum. So these are the combined percentages when these guys are guarded by Corey Joseph. They're 30 of 81 from the field, 37%. And 11 of 38 from three, 28.9%. I just was doing my best to point out that Corey Joseph does a very good job of shutting some of these guys down. Kemba Walker specifically scored zero points. Um, There was a lot of these guys that really struggled against Corey Joseph. I think that's a great stat. Um, It definitely makes me think about how valuable he is defensively. You know, it's one of those things where even if you got one great defender, it doesn't really solve the problem because they'll just they'll just uh, get it to a guy who's not being guarded by Corey Joseph. So I feel like, you know, maybe his plus minus numbers aren't great, but that's just because the opposing team will just cycle the ball around, find the right matchup, and there's nothing that Corey Joseph can do about that. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, so it's not always the guard that is the best player on the opposing team, like we saw with uh, at least the best offensive player, like we saw with Vucevic the other night with Orlando. So only so much uh, Joseph can do on the defensive end, but I think that he's uh, he's given a lot on that end. And he gets really criticized uh, in general. I think on King's Twitter, I, I understand, you know, he is uh, overpaid probably uh, or he is overpaid. I mean, 13 million is a lot for a fairly one dimensional guy. Uh, like you said, really plays one end of the ball effectively, but I think what he brings is very valuable to this team. Yeah. Um, that's fair. The criticism is probably a little too harsh, although I do think that he has disappointed. So it's, he has disappointed, but it's not, as bad as maybe we sometimes think. Um, I want to transition here into some positive stuff I want to talk about. I mean, you brought some up there with Corey Joseph. I want to do that as well. I've got a positive stat here for De'Aaron Fox, and it kind of plays in. I'll tie it into my last stat as well. But De'Aaron Fox has been a revelation since the uh, turn of the new year. Um, It's really been impressive. I can go over his specific stats in a second, but I want to just, the way that I broke this down is here's how much Fox's counting stats have increased uh, since New Year's Day compared to how he played in 2019. Um, He's he's increased by 6.6 points per game, 1.0 assists per game, 1.4 rebounds per game, 1.1 1.1 steals per game and 0.9 blocks per game. 
specifically that 6.6 points per game jump is impressive to me. And I just wanted to point out that that is greater than the entire points per game of Corey Joseph or Trip Curry's. <laughs> That's pretty hilarious. Yeah, he has been phenomenal since he's returned. Uh, I, I know you've pointed it out a lot, and really on both ends of the ball, like those were pretty much offensive numbers, uh, minus the steals and blocks in there. But the defensive end, he he really has been a game changer on that end as well. Um, and yeah, my stat here for him uh, is he's getting to the line a lot. He, yes. He's being very aggressive. Um, the percentage isn't amazing. 73.5% on the year, only like a percent up from last year, but synergy has a shooting foul percentage amount of possessions that that player uses that they're fouled on. And of guards in the league, only Jimmy Butler, James Harden, and this one's a wild card and Isaac Bonga have a higher shooting foul percentage than De'Aaron Fox. That's pretty good. Explain that to me again. It's is this is fouls drawn per attempt or what is that exactly? Yes, it's every time that they use a possession. So yes, attempts um, is then he was fouled fifteen percent of the time on his attempts. Um, and yeah, like I said, Jimmy Butler, James Harden, Isaac Bonga, the only guards above him. Um, and interestingly, I think that guys are struggling to guard him definitely obviously and him getting to the rim he has way less and ones this year as well I don't have that number in front of me right now I can get it here um yeah so he 26.9 percent of the time he was fouled last year was an and one this year's down to 15 percent I think he's just getting fouled harder um, is what that is. And, you know, there's only so many of those that do go in. I think that number, uh, will end up going up a little bit more, but yes, that is what percentage of a player's shot attempts was he fouled on? Yeah. And I'll say that, you know, you mentioned the free throw percentage, not amazing on the year, but I'll point out going back to my, you know, 2019 to 2020 difference, he shot only 69% on free throws in the first part of the year before before uh, it turned over to 2020. And since then, he's been shooting 82.5 in in this new year. Um, and just to give you guys the raw numbers on his 2020, uh, 23.7 points, 7.8 assists, 5.3 boards, 2.2 steals, 1.1 blocks. Uh, shooting splits pretty strong, 48, 33, 82. Not bad. Yeah, and in that Magic game, he was great from three. He hit, uh, he hit two threes. Actually, I thought there was three, but then I remembered one of uh, them. His foot was on the line, but two of them were off the dribble. One was a catch and shoot, and the catch and shoot he was almost leaning a little bit when he caught it too. Uh, that was probably the most impressive one to me. But yeah, he he's looked good from three recently as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's going to be the one thing that um, he probably should improve on. Like this, That and the turnover numbers are a little bit weak in the new year, but really not bad overall. Um, do you have any uh, – do you have the next one that sticks out? I've got a good one if you, want, if you want me to just keep rolling here. Go ahead. Okay, this is for our boy Nemanja Bielica. This is kind of a fun one. It took me a little bit of research to figure this out. Uh, Nemanja Bielica is now – only one of five players in the NBA to shoot at least 40% from three 
with at least 100 attempts in each of the last three years. Oh, in each of the last three years. Yes. Wow. So that, okay, you a, did do at, some digging. At least 100 attempts and at least 40% for three years straight. Wow. There's one of only five players to do so. Yeah, a cer- certified sharpshooter at that point. You do that three years straight, uh, yeah, you got it. He can do that. Absolutely. He's Yeah, he's a bomber. We know that. Um, do you just want to, out of fun here, try to guess some of these other players? So James, wait, 40%. No, 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 James Harden's not there. Um, who else would, 100 attempts. Is J.J. Redick in that group? He's not. Um, man, I actually don't, like, is Davis Bertans in that group? He is not. Only two years straight for him. There's one guy that I feel is like is you know pretty obvious. Uh, I'll just I, so Joe Harris I thought was the uh, one you, you might be able to guess. Mm-hmm. Then Carly Anthony Towns. Oh, that I I think is a little bit sneaky. People don't really think that about him as far as the over forty percent. But that one I think you would have gotten to eventually. And then Boyan uh, Bogdanovich wow. and. Uh, uh, now this dude whose first name I forgot, but <laughs> McDermott was it Doug, Doug McDermott? Doug, yeah, such a boring first name. <laughs> yeah, Boyan, Doug McDermott, Joe Harris, and Cat. Yeah, that is uh, that is definitely impressive there. And so my Bielitsa stat is only limited to this year. I did not do the same crazy dive that you did with this one. But in regards to jump shots. In the half-court setting, Nemanja Bialica is fifth in the NBA in effective field goal percentage of all jump shooters that have shot at least uh, that have at least 50 attempts. Ninth in the NBA, 61.6 effective field goal percentage. Uh, you mentioned Carl Anthony Towns; that's one of the guys above him. And then you really got other sharpshooters. You got Duncan Robinson. Uh, Svi Mikhailuk, Royce O'Neal, Rodney Hood. But yes, above guys like Davis Bertans, Joe Ingles, JJ Redick. He, uh, again, I mean, of course, we both pull shooting stats for Bielitsa. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Um, and I've got one that is on effective field goal percentage, but going to bring it down again because it is a bummer of a stat. Are you currently paying off student debt, interested in improving your financial literacy, or looking for new ways to earn income in today's ever-changing digital landscape? Well, on the Talk Money with Mesh Lakani podcast, Mesh will follow paper trails, chat with experts, and break down complex ideas to bring clarity to the mystical financial phenomena. Each episode will be filled with compelling stories covering a broad range of subjects, from buying Bitcoin, dealing with student debt, and everything in between. Listen to Talk Money with Mesh Lakani on Spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and learn how to spend, invest, and earn for today's economy. Luckily, it's a little bit in our rearview window, but it's about Harrison Barnes in the month of December. Uh, you and I both know he was in quite a slump there, but this is a, this is a stat that stood out to me. Um, 63 players in the NBA took at least 175 shots in December. Of those 63 players, Barnes had the worst effective field goal percentage. Oh, man. Yeah, that is is bad. 
Yeah, that's stinky. Ooh. Yeah. Um, mine is definitely, I tried to find a positive for Barnes. And Barnes is difficult because he's so well-rounded. There's not like stats that jump off the page to you, really. Um, I just had that he has the lowest turnover percentage on the team at 7.7% outside of uh, Justin James, Kyle Guy, and Daquan Jeffries. And he's also about middle of the pack, a little higher than middle in usage. So it's not like he's not turning it over because he's not getting the ball. Um, and yeah, it is turnover percentage. So yeah, I tried to find a positive here for Barnes and what kind of has been the numbers are, are down because of that poor December. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. I do feel comfortable when the ball is in his hands. Um, and I'm glad to hear that that is backed up a little bit. Um, I wonder, I might just go look up who's got the highest because I'm curious to know. Uh, I got oh, it right here. Caleb Swanigan with 55%. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, <laughs> see, I have Cleaning the Glass up, which number. has its garbage time filter. Uh, gotcha. And Dwayne Dedman, 24. Dwayne Dedman, 24. This is just turnover percentage? Yeah. Oh, interesting. I, I wonder, there must be some serious uh, cutoffs there. Yeah, Deadman, Deadman is leading among the players that have actually played really this season on basketball reference throughout. That includes garbage time. He's at, at 21.8. Then, uh, yeah, Harry Giles up there. And then De'Aaron Fox is, is probably the next big minutes guy. Yeah, and uh, Fox is forgivable with his cleaning glass has 35% assist percentage so uh you know get you win some lose some when it comes to that when you're running the offense so often definitely who you want to move on to here next um i just mentioned him very briefly there but i got a little little nugget here for harry giles um based on a tweet you sent me last night just saying that giles almost took a three uh (laughs) it is step away it's worthwhile to point out here that Giles is hitting 41.2% on his jumpers beyond 16 feet, but has not attempted a three. Yeah, that, that definitely is an interesting one. I'm trying to pull up here. Uh, did you say that he attempted them in Stockton? Yeah, he's, I actually know this for, from heart because I've t- yelled at so many people. But yeah, he was 8 of 11 in his time in Stockton. <laughs> yeah, you got that down. Yeah, 72% from three, just saying. Yeah, yeah, just saying. So I didn't pull a Giles one. I pulled a Deadman one. Um, and this really, like, like I said, I try to do representative ones. Uh, so this is just, yeah, I mean, I just mentioned he had 11 DNPCDs, uh, three inactives after the trade request. And there's only eight games of the 26 that he's played where he's played more than 15 minutes. So just kind of yeah. telling of how bad he's been. He can't even get minutes on the floor. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Um, things will definitely change if he does get minutes. Just, he's, he, you know, things will change. I don't know if it'll be better or worse, but it would be hard to replicate what he's been doing. It will be better. It can't be worse. I just don't, I don't believe in my heart that it could be worse. Yeah. And uh, speaking of better, let's go to the upgrade at the center position. The guy that's been killing it this year. What do you got for Rashawn Holmes here? 
For Rashawn Holmes, I've got a stat I've kind of harped on a little bit over time. I actually dug this one up when we were first talking about doing an episode like this. Um, and then uh, we put it off because there was some some news going on and then the holidays came. But yeah, there was a, there was a long time where you could say that no player had taken as many shots as Rashawn Holmes and uh, connected on those shots at an equal or better rate. So to rephrase that in a, in a way, um, one player has moved past him since he was injured, but only Rudy Gobert has taken more shots than Rashawn Holmes this year and has a higher field goal percentage than Rashawn Holmes. Wow. Yeah, I have him at uh, ninth in the NBA uh, per synergy of players that played at least 10 games this year and points per possession, 1.204 uh, there. And, you know, I have something and I have something else I want you to guess here. Uh, I don't know if you saw my tweet about it. Of players that have at least 15 runner, floater, push shot attempts, whatever you want to call them, where do you think Rashawn Holmes ranks in a percentage? I feel like I did see this tweet, but I don't remember the numbers. So, I mean, I would imagine – I would imagine that – did you say that he's got the best – I think he's number one, right? He is. He's tied with <laughs> – I want you to guess who he's tied with. He's on the Phoenix Suns. I will tell you the team. So this is who has the most deadly runner. Yeah, uh, runner, floater, push shot. And, and yeah, hmm. He's on the Phoenix Suns. I feel like you're setting me up now. <laughs> it's, it's, hmm. Is it Aaron Baines? It is Frank Kaminsky. Oh, that's yeah, fucking the, gross. I know. There was, I was expecting you to drop like Devin Booker, Ricky Rubio, you know. Yeah, Frank Kaminsky. Uh, but yeah. I would I, never drop Devin Booker for an efficiency stat. How dare you? That's, <laughs> that's fair. That, that is very fair. But yeah, of guys with at least 15 attempts there. Um, and uh, Kaminsky has 22. Rashawn Holmes has 49. The next guy even close is 45 for Brandon Clark. Um, until you don't get a percentage with at least those amount of attempts until you reach James Harden with 89 attempts at 51%. Rashawn Holmes, that... that that is absolute money. I asked Doug Christie when that patent's supposed to come through. He said, I think he said two to three weeks. So it's in the mail. There you go. Cash money. Absolutely money. I I'm, I miss him so much. I miss him so much. I feel like it's been years. I said, I said Deadman could have guarded Vucevic yesterday. But Holmes could have done it for sure. That's all. That's yeah. I, I, yeah, exactly. He's every solution to the Kings problems. Um, <laughs> Now let's talk about probably the most problematic player relative to expectations. Let's talk about Buddy Heald. My stat here is very simple. It's very elegant. It's simply that Buddy Heald is posting a career low in the trifecta, field goal percentage, three-point percentage, free throw percentage, all career lows. Wow. Yeah. Um, I have – Something probably aimed a little bit more towards Luke Walton here is that last year, uh, per synergy, Buddy Heald ran 259 pick and rolls. 
throughout the entire season. He played all 82 games. This year, he's already ran 202. Um, and that's obviously not where you like to see him. Um, I know we said one stat, but I guess I have a couple others that kind of go with the shots that he's been taking and the type of offense that he's been going with. Um, this year, 47% of his attempts are off the dribble. And last year, 38% were. Um, and yeah, even the catch and shoot attempts that he's getting, he's 29% of his attempts are catch and shoot this year. And he's knocking down about 54 effective field goal percentage compared to 65 last year. Um, so shots aren't going in, but I also am not happy to see him already creeping up on the amount of pick and rolls that he's ran as last year. Yeah, well, that's the thing is that, I mean, that's those two, my stat on him and your stat on him go hand in hand. I mean, how do you take a tremendously efficient player and make him post career lows in field goal percentage, three-point percentage, and free throw percentage? Probably by completely changing the way that he plays the game uh, and forcing him to do things that he is A, not comfortable with, and B, not good at. Um, And I'll plug right now, uh, Mr. Tim Maxwell was supposed to be on the episode tonight. He had a bit of an emergency with a, a sick uh, kid. Uh, hopefully that will all work itself out and he will join us again soon. But um, yeah, he wrote a, a, an article today about this specifically, about how Luke Walton is, I mean, you know, not to over, not to over paraphrase or not to oversimplify uh, Tim's point, but just that Luke Walton is ruining Buddy Heald by making him do the things he's bad at and making him stop doing the things he's good at. And it's a great article. Go read it on Sacktown Royalty. Yeah, I didn't get to it yet, but I saw a lot of high praise for it. And yeah, I mean, the thing with Luke here is like, you coached Clay Thompson. You were right there for Clay. Play him the same way. Absolutely, you do. You have to. Um, you absolutely have to. That's <laughs> that's who he is. Right. That's who he is on offense. You do that. Do that. Quit playing around and do. Let him be good at what he's good at. For the love of God. Right. I wouldn't have mind him doing it a little bit more, like trying to learn to run it a little more often. But this is way too extreme. Like I, I will say, I'm curious your thoughts on the whole. Buddy Heald is who he is. He's already, what is it, 27. But to me, he is still in his fourth year in the league. Like, he's still going to pick things up. I don't think he's going to change dramatically, but he's still going to improve in my mind. How do you feel on that? No, I don't agree. Um, It's not that he won't improve some things in some ways, and he definitely will, but that it's not what he's not going to improve so much at anything that it's worth sacrificing the things that he's good at. Um, It's ridiculous. I don't care that it's his fourth year in the NBA. The man came in at an old 23. Um, No, it doesn't matter. He is, he is who he is. I really do believe that. I know that little things you can pick up, but it's not, he's not going to go from being a complete liability with the ball in his hands, a complete liability on defense to, anything any positive in either of those places so I don't think that you should work on it I I mean I don't I I don't think well let me rephrase that I don't think you should work on it if it is comes at the expense of the things that he's good at which is what is happening 
I, I agree with that. I don't think that it should take away from what he is elite at, what he was elite at. Um, I, I just do, I do think that he is still going to have positive progression to other areas of his game, but totally on board with you that I don't want it to be sacrificing um, his most valuable aspect. Well, yeah, it's, but it's natural progress. It's, it, it's, he's not a player you can mold. He's not a piece of clay. He's not. He's almost 28 years old. He's going, he's going to be good at what he's good at. The things that he's going to improve are secondary tertiary skills. You can't try to make him into a completely different player. It's, it's too late. I'm sorry. It is. Yeah. I think that's totally fair. That's, that's totally fine by me. Um, Well, what we've talked about before, and he said it in a press conference last week, he said that the way that he, that Luke Walton is describing it is that when Buddy draws a bunch of gravity, that he wants him capable of passing out of that gravity, right? Finding the right man, uh, you know, being capable that if he gets doubled, pass out of it in a smart way. Great. Great. That's what he's going to improve at. He's not going to improve at coming down the floor running the offense like that is what and that's what Walton is making him do right I I think the whole gravity thing is really I I think of touch passes when he comes off down screens and pin downs and he gets the ball and say like you see with Steph often obviously Steph is a different level of playmaker but both of the guys the man guarding the screener and the guy guarding buddy in this case would both pop out to buddy and if he was able to hit the overhead pass to the rolling guy but that's just a touch pass a very quick decision rather than like you're saying coming down and running the offense fully initiating it right i i am in i'm completely baffled that walton is making him initiate so much offense when he clearly is not good at it uh, it's never been his strength, and it, 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 that implies what that forces is that he can't do what he is best at, coming off screens, all that stuff, shooting. We know that um, catch and shoots, are, you know, they go out the window when you're the, the primary initiator. Um, and then on defense, he's doing the same thing. He's making him guard Evan Fournier. He's making him guard yeah. Trey Young. What? Devin Booker. Why? Probably. Why? It's insane. Um, it's completely insane. And it is, honestly, it is the brashness of a coach who knows that his job is extremely secure. Uh, I'll just say that. I'll leave it at that. That's my theory on what's been going on. I've been saying it for a long time. He knows he's safe, so he can do whatever he feels like doing and explore explore the space. But I got to stop now before I blow a gasket. Um <laughs> I've got one guy left. It's Bogdan Bogdanovich, and it is a positive statistic. Maybe we can end it on a high note. Is this the only one you have left? Um, I'll throw my Bagley one really quick. The Bagley one, I mean, it doesn't even really matter. It's the same sort of thing as Deadman, where I didn't even feel comfortable really throwing a stat out there after 10 games, but he played 75% of his games last year. He's only played 25% of his games this year. Um, I know we're only 40 games in, so missing a couple games, um, I mean, missing 30 of them is not a couple, but that percentage can definitely get a lot higher as the year goes on, but I'm not comfortable pulling a stat out of 10 games. Yeah, I feel the same way, Um, but I like what you chose to do there. Uh, to make it about the missed time because that is the only meaningful thing that he has done uh, this season is missed time, quite frankly. Um, 
here I'll just I got this one on the fly. It's a really fun stat. Um, Harry Giles has played more games than Marvin Bagley. They've both played two years in the league. I know Giles had that redshirt season before that, but they have they're both in this in their sophomore year, and Harry Giles has played in more games despite you know his every label in the world saying that he is injury prone that he's got bad knees, whatever, whatever. Despite the fact that we see him sitting there with ice packs on his knees, we know that he's injury prone. We know that he struggles with that stuff. He's played more games than Marvin Bagley in the last two years. So I don't know what to say. Right. I think with Giles, the issue is that it's the knees over and over. With Bagley, it's kind of different things here and there that you hope don't keep happening. But you could look at a guy like AD where, you know, he's missing 15, 20 games uh, fairly often because of little things here and there. Yeah, it doesn't change the numbers, though. I, I'm not sitting here and trying to make the argument that Bagley is more of an injury concern than Giles. I'm just saying Giles has played in more games. He's missed less games than Bagley. Yeah, totally fair, and uh, definitely a shocking stat to hear. But uh, you want to move on to the last guy here? This is your guy. This is Bogdanovich, right? This is my guy. Do you have something positive about him? I want I to go out on a high note. Okay, let's let's do that. Okay. Um, go ahead. Um. I think one of his best aspects is his shooting off the dribble. Um, so I pulled another synergy one here of players with at least 20 attempts. He is eighth in the NBA in field goal percentage of jump shots off the dribble. Um, this is just in the half court. It doesn't count transition buckets, even though those are few and far between this year, but 48% off the dribble this year, only behind a very interesting Emmanuel Moutier at the top uh troy daniels that kind of ruins this whole yeah yeah we can (laughs) there's a couple guys that you know are in only like 30 overall possessions bogdanovich has 112 possessions okay that's Uh, i like that yeah moutier does have 90 so he's a very surprising doing well there um but the only guy with over 100 above him is chris paul who is double the amount of attempts uh but yeah bogdanovich is great shooting off the dribble i love that that's a great stat i love that he's in chris paul's company there um my stat for him is among so as we know bogdan has started zero games this year he has not started one game among players with zero starts he is fifth in points fifth in steals fourth in assists and tied for first in three-pointers made um, and that's despite missing some games. So if you go to uh, per game stats, among non-starters, he is third in points per game, second in steals per game, first in assists per game, and first in threes per game. Those are nice numbers. I mean, that's the sixth man of the year you know, conversation right there. It really is. Those steals surprise me. That was the most surprising one in there. Yeah, oh, he's been great with steals this year, quite honestly. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely, I would assume Lou Williams is ahead of him in a good amount of those, maybe like three-point percentage in points per game. Um, I would guess that is the case, or has Lou Williams started a game? He maybe has started a game. Oh, right, has not started a single game. Yeah, so this isn't players that qualify for the award. It is straight-up players that have not started. Yeah, Lou Willis started five games. There we go. Okay, yeah, definitely – good six man of the year numbers for Bogdanovich and man 
two of our three MVPs, I believe. Bogey was our third guy in MVP, right? I think we had. I believe we had a three-way tie for second with right. Fox, Barnes, and Bogey. But our clear number one, Rashawn Holmes, and one of those three-way ties are both inactive right now. And Sacramento looks like they're starting to they're starting to get healthy a bit. Uh, at least Bagley and Fox are coming back, and those feel yeah. like the main I, pieces is probably why I feel that way. I don't think they're starting to get healthy. I mean, Rashawn Holmes, who is their best player <laughs> or MVP of the first half, is now out. I don't know. I don't know that I can agree with that necessarily. Yeah, that that's fair. I, I think I was just really missing Fox and Bagley since they clearly feel like the future of this team. And it's like when I'm looking for a positive on this team when they're struggling, it's like, okay, how are Fox and Bagley progressing? And then they obviously need to be on the floor for that to happen. Um, but there has been some somewhat promising showings. Like we said, this Orlando one, there was some promise in it. And, you know, if Bogdanovich and Holmes are out there, I think these results look a lot better. And when this team does get healthy, if they're able to do so, knock on wood, um, they could end up looking all right this second half of the year. Yeah, um, I agree. Uh, Fox and Bagley are the most important parts of this team, at least for the future. Definitely agree with that. Would love to see Holmes back. Do we know that Bogey is coming back? I mean, this thing has been hanging around. It's true. I do not know of an update off the top of my head here. So, yeah, there's a chance he could keep missing time. Um, I would love to see Holmes and Bogey and Fox and Bagley all healthy at the same time. And, yeah, um, I don't know. Is this season lost? I mean, I mean, is it? Is there enough? I mean, I don't know. I, I It should be, but it's not because the bottom of the West. <laughs> Yeah, fair enough. All right. We both think there's still a chance. We're going to hang in there. um, And hopefully the Kings don't get demoralized by Luka Doncic and the Dallas Mavericks tomorrow night. Yeah, we'll just leave it at that. Um, (laughs) Is there anything else that you got here, man? That's about it. Hopefully we get um, Tim Maxwell back and ready to go and breaking down this Luka Doncic game on Thursday. Definitely. Yeah, he's the stats guy. This episode was really tailored for him. So sad to not see him on here. But when we get him on in the hopeful near future, maybe we'll have him share some of his uh, stats that I know he pulled in preparation for this. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to it. Yeah. And uh, if you have any interesting stats, definitely throw throw them our way. We'll post some of these on the KP Twitter account as well and see what you guys are thinking. But thanks to everybody for listening to this episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. You hear from us again in the next couple days. I have been fed, that's a fact. I have been fed, that's a fact. My credit card purchases get me cash back. My credit card purchases get me cash back. No one else gets these rewards. Sergeant, that is just plain untrue. What in tarnation? Sir, PenFed's PowerCash Rewards Card isn't just for military members. Anyone can get cash back on all purchases. Ah, friggins! You've ruined my favorite song. PenFed Credit Union. Visit PenFed.org slash PowerCash. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA.